chapter 1, we've been studying this together for uh, a few weeks now, and uh, we're going to talk about some verses that we highlighted a few weeks ago, uh, but talk about grief, talk about suffering, talk about temptation, talk about trials that we experience. And so we're going to talk about good grief, uh, like Charlie Brown would say, good grief. We're going to talk about that and hope that you would see that grief can be used in a good way, in a way that uh, strengthens us, in a way that grows us, in a way that matures us, uh, despite um, what the world teaches about suffering, despite what we think um, how suffering should be, uh, despite uh, the fact that maybe you haven't experienced suffering yet. At some point, we know, and unless Christ returns today, uh, this broken world that we live in, you will experience some kind of grief or suffering. And so as someone who's following Jesus, if you are, uh, as someone who's following Jesus, how do you walk in obedience to him? And how do you walk through the trials, the various kinds of trials that we experience? How do you walk through the suffering and walk through that uh, being tested of your faith and yet being found faithful to the Lord and the Lord alone. How, how do we do that? And Peter's writing to this group of Christians, this group of believers, this group that's following the ways of Jesus, uh, who has been spread out, who've been dispersed among Asia Minor, and uh, who, are, who are doing their best to continue to walk in faithfulness to Jesus. And so Peter wants to write this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to encourage them to stop trusting in yourself, but instead look to, point your eyes or fix your eyes upon the one who is perfect, the one who has completed the work for you, uh, the one who persevered, who endured uh, through sin and suffering and yet remained uh, sinless, who, uh, who endured through uh, temptation even in, in the wilderness and yet didn't fall into sin, instead remained pure and holy. And because of that, was able to make, like we just talked about in Hebrews 1, make purification for our sins. If Jesus had sin, he would not be able to offer the perfect sacrifice and we would be singing false songs. We wouldn't have anything to celebrate. But because he remained holy and pure, he was able to be the right and the ultimate sacrifice for our sins so that we can have so we can have holiness, so we can have righteousness, so we can have a living hope despite the broken world that we live in. And so the hope is that in these three or four verses here, um, that as we follow through, as we look through what this uh, grief and the suffering looks like, uh, the hope is the result might be, it's, it's listed there, said there, the result is that we could rejoice in that, that we could rejoice in trials, that we could rejoice in suffering, not, not many people, there are a few that I've met, but not many people look at suffering and grief and say, yay. Not many people look at grief and suffering and say, I want more. Not many people look at grief and suffering and trials and say, how come you haven't given me more? I haven't had enough. Like, give me more suffering and grief, and I want it, and I'm going to rejoice that you're giving it to me or that I've received it. Most people shy away from that. We don't necessarily rejoice in that. We question we wonder. We ask why. We try and figure it out. Why am I suffering? Why have I experienced trials? Why am I, uh, you know, being uh, tested? Why are these things happening? We begin even to to question God's character. We wonder if God is a God who loves. If God is a God who's in control. I mean, you think about yesterday's events, just you know, in Midland and Odessa, and last week's events in Hobbs. And the events that happen throughout the world where we see what seems as if sin is, is ruling, sin is reigning. And we think through those traumatic moments. We think about the suffering and the grief that's happening. And we wonder, God, where are you? 
God, where are you in the midst of this? How come you haven't returned? Are you going to return? How come you haven't made this place perfect? Why are we still experiencing these things? And maybe it's not just the, the big, grandiose or dramatic events. Maybe it's simple things like uh, dropping a cup and breaking it, or, or spilling coffee, or not catching any fish, or not being born in Texas. <laughs> And you wonder, and you begin to question, is there purpose for my life? Not regards to you being born in Texas, but the other things. We begin to question that. And so Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, directed by God, writes these words so that we can persevere, so that we can endure through the sufferings and the trials, so that we can be tested, and in our testing, find a genuineness of our faith. Not a fair-weathered faith or a weak faith, but instead a firmly rooted faith in the completed work of Jesus, firmly rooted in Him, and a genuine faith. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing, tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So again, the overarching theme in these four verses is that we would experience suffering and trials and persecution and approving of your faith. We would, we would go through those. We would walk through that and be found genuine in our faith, be preserved by Christ, the living hope that we have, and then when he does appear finally at his revelation, when he is revealed to the entire world, our faith in him, our faith in him was real. Our faith in him was a worthy faith. Our faith in him was a genuine faith. Not in something that's not been proven, but instead something that has been proven for decades and for years now. Trusting in the promises of God. Trusting in in Jesus. So, all of this relies, what we're about to study, all this relies on if the resurrection of Jesus is true. If the resurrection of Jesus is not true, we have no living hope. We're suffering for no reason. We're grieving for no reason. We're putting our faith on trial for no reason because the resurrection didn't happen. But if the resurrection of Jesus ha happened, if it truly did happen, which many of us believe that it did, if it truly happened, then no matter what we experience, our faith should be strengthened with our eyes focused upon the resurrection of Jesus. And it is why we can sing in celebration and rejoice, like we just sang, it is finished. He is alive. We can rejoice over that because we're trusting in the resurrection of Jesus. The promises. All the promises are fulfilled. When Christ resurrects from the grave, all the promises are fulfilled. He truly is the Son of God. He is who he says he is. He can be Lord of our life now because he's conquered everything. He's walked through sin and yet remained spotless, undefiled. 
He has now gone through the grave and yet conquered and beat up death and is at this moment ruling and reigning and conquering Satan, victorious. And so with that, we can daily, no matter what the circumstances are, how big or how small, with our eyes focused on Jesus, we can continue, we can continue to be in obedience to him and glorify him. Praise, like Peter says, result in praise and glory and honor of Christ and no longer ourselves. So just another thing to think about as, we, as we're about to talk about grief and suffering. We do not want grief and suffering or even your faith through that, all that to be, the, to be the object or the receiver of praise and glory. It's not about how you responded to suffering and us to applaud you and, and give you stars and stickers and say, wow, you're incredible. But instead, through your faith, through your testing of your faith, praise and glory and honor go to Jesus. We're praising him because of the faith that we have in him, because of the testing of our faith, the trials and the suffering that we went through or are going through, and yet he is kept us, as Jude 24 and 25 says, he has kept us from stumbling and kept us blameless. And so to him be all glory and honor. Okay, that was the sermon. Uh, like I've said before, if you need to sleep, this is your time. Okay? But for the rest of you who have had enough coffee and want to continue on, let's study a little bit about grief. In this, verse 6 says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In this you rejoice. We're rejoicing. Like there's no like a hidden meaning in the Greek word here. It means to rejoice. It means to be excited. It means to be rejoicing over the fact that though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Tomorrow, try that. Put that into practice. Uh, parents, when your kids test your faith in Jesus, you can just applaud them. Say, thank you for testing my faith. I'm going to rejoice in Jesus. Wives do the same. When your husbands test your faith here in a moment when they fall asleep, use that and say, I'm going to rejoice in this testing of my faith. Whatever the case may be, we want to rejoice in this little time frame of suffering and grief. How can Peter say, though, for a little while? Because you that have experienced suffering and grief know that it may feel as if it's going to last forever. Like there's no end to it. And if it wasn't for the living hope that we have in Jesus, it would constantly seem that way. But because we have a living hope in Jesus, hope is followed by a comma, not a period. Suffering also is followed by a comma. Saying we have hope. Yes, we're suffering for a little while, comma, but it ain't the end. Or well, it's not the end, English teachers. It's not the end. Instead, we have a hope, a living hope in Jesus that we will endure through no matter what the situation because of because of Jesus. In this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary. If necessary. Uh, those of you who have applied for jobs before and you see the, the job description and anything else that's necessary that we, we desire of you, you may have to do. We love that if necessary moment. If necessary, I remember one time doing some a wedding vows for a, a couple of former students and we added in the vows uh, through sickness and in health, 
and this is a little bit dramatic, I'm sorry, uh, no matter how dirty his underwear is, you will remain faithful to him. Like it's dramatic, but they thought it would be funny in their wedding, in their wedding vows. Uh, and so they, they rejoiced in that. If necessary, no matter the suffering that we go through, no matter the stench, no matter the smell, no matter the trial, no, no matter the persecution, if necessary, if we're going to go through this, we rejoice because of Jesus. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Grieved by various trials. Let's talk about this, this phrase for a second. I mentioned to you just a couple of weeks ago about the word grieve and what it means and the picture that it gives us. It gives us the picture of childbirth and the grieving, the pain that you're going through. Man, you know all about this, the pain that you're going through as you're grieving through childbirth. Grieved by various Trials by various trials. We wonder what those trials are. We wonder what those trials look like. Peter gives us many examples of this in the rest of this letter. In First Peter 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, he gives us pictures of this. The trials of remaining pure and holy. The trials of government control. The trials of persecution. The trials of marriage. The trials of church life. He's given us examples of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus and being grieved by, by various trials in this broken world. This word trials, this Greek word we, we mentioned to you is, is the same Greek word that we have rooted in the word pirate, that sometimes they come when we don't expect them to come. The, the Greek word is pyrosmos. It, it, it means you're not expecting it. It's coming out of nowhere. You're, you're sailing along, and all of a sudden the pirates show up to steal, to steal your joy or whatever you want to put in parentheses or quotation marks there, come to steal these things from you. And so you're grieved by these various trials. This trial word also means a testing of your fidelity, a, a testing of your faithfulness, a testing of your genuineness in the relationship that you have. So this trial is going to test your fidelity, in our case as the bride of Christ, our fidelity or faithfulness to Jesus the groom. Somebody should have said amen. That was a good point. This word trial, let me say it again just in case you weren't listening. This word trial means a testing of your fidelity and faithfulness to the groom, Jesus, as the bride of Christ. And so it seems as if Peter is talking about that as you're grieving, as you're going through these pains of childbirth or labor, as you're going through these things, know that these trials are going to produce in you a faithfulness to the groom, a, a faithfulness to your Savior, a faithfulness to Jesus. Okay, this word grieved, lupeo, it means a deep grief. It means experiencing deep emotional pain, a severe sorrow. It's an intense, it's not some light word, not light and fluffy at all. Instead, it's heavy, it's burdensome, it's a deep grief. Again, it's, it's the reason why it's used with the example, the, the picture of the pain of childbirth. And since it is Labor Day weekend, we should talk about laboring. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, as you uh, experience childbirth and as you experience labor, and some of you have experienced it more recent than others, and some of you will, will experience it soon, uh, there is a uh, neuro hormone that is being released during the time of labor, while you're in active labor. 
the, the hormone is, is designed by and given by God. He's, he's created this this way. Uh, it's not just a hormone that's, that's created in just females, but it's also in males that we don't experience childbirth. But during childbirth, this hormone is released. It's called oxytocin. It's released, and it helps in uh, intensifying contractions so that the baby may exit the wound. Wound. It is a wound also, sorry. So that the baby may exit the womb. So oxytocin is being released in your body during this time of stress and grief and sorrow and extreme pain. And if it wasn't for oxytocin, you would not be able to, ladies, once you deliver your child, you would not be able to grab that child and then cuddle with that child, hold that child, and rejoice in that moment. Though I have experienced a ton of pain, though I have experienced a ton of grief, though I have experienced a ton of suffering, now I rejoice, though I have gone through that moment. Oxytocin is also, is also the cuddle hormone. So it works two ways. During low stress times, times of not grieving, times of not sorrow, uh, times of low stress time, oxytocin is being released in us. In moments of uh, strengthening relationships, it's called the cuddle hormone. Uh, I'm not a hugger. John Bernard thinks it's funny to hug me. Uh, for some of you, that's funny. I don't understand why. But this cuddle hormone is released in us by God. It's released in us to help us strengthen relationships. And so two things. Think about childbirth one more time here. Two things are happening in the mom as she's delivering. Oxytocin is being released in this high-stress time being released in her body to help push her and get her through this moment so that so that she is strengthened in that and at the end of that laboring at the end of that suffering during the low stress time now of an infant if it may be that we grab and we rejoice in life it's interesting I mean this book, or this letter by Peter was written in 63, about 63 AD. And years later, secular psychologists and psychiatrists begin to study oxytocin, trying to uh, tell us about all the effects of it and all the things that are produced from it. Uh, we've tried to, to create it ourselves. In fact, you may know of the, of the synthetic uh, drug. Uh, it's called Pitocin. It's the thing that we, that we give someone who we want to uh, force labor upon. Like men are like, never give me Pitocin. I don't want any contractions in life. And most of us are the same way. It's why Peter says, if necessary. Like, like listen, lady, like you've got to you've got to help push this baby into the world. And so so we have this this drug that we're going to give you that's going to help increase and intensify your contractions. That sounds like pain. I know it is. I know it's pain. But it's absolutely necessary. So if it's necessary, push me through it. Give it to me. If it is necessary that I might strengthen a relationship, that I might grab a hold of life, push me, push me through it. Give me the Pitocin. Give me the suffering. Give me the intensifying of suffering and grief. Many of us aren't saying that in our walk with Jesus. Most of us are saying, take the suffering away. 
Take the grief away. Take the pain away. I want a comfort-free life. I don't want to experience those things. And Peter is saying, Peter is saying the opposite. Peter is saying struggle through, grieve, suffer, so that there's a tested genuineness of your faith. In men, this oxytocin is released also to strengthen relationships. Uh, and particularly, this is crazy, uh, in a study of, of men uh, that were given this synthetic form of oxytocin, it was a, a nose spray, uh, they noticed that men, their fidelity was boosted. So it's like a, almost like a faithfulness booster. And the way they, way they measured this is they would give men this, uh, you know, this oxytocin and then put them in situations uh, that tested their fidelity to their wives or their faithfulness to their wives. And they noticed that those who had been given oxytocin were quicker to walk away from sin. That's the way we judge it or say that it is. Walk away from unfaithfulness and instead cling to faithfulness. Secular psychologists... This isn't Jesus doing these things, though we can say he's in, in all things. But they're studying this and researching that this God-made chemical in us, or hormone in us, is creating in us a faithfulness booster. It's crazy. Let's read some things for you. Oxytocin, this neurohormone, it fine-tunes our brain's social instincts, helps us to strengthen close relationships, but it is also a stress hormone. It's released during stressful times. And when oxytocin is released in a stress response, it motivates us to seek support, to find someone or something to help us. So your biological, by God, stress response is nudging you in stressful, grieving moments to tell someone how you feel instead of bottling it up or keeping it to you yourself. And you've all experienced this. And again, this is secular secular psychology or psychiatry that's telling us these things. It's telling us something that God has already instilled in us. That during the suffering and the grieving and the suffering that you go through, that we should be strengthening our relation our relationship primarily with Jesus. That we should be remaining faithful to Christ in Christ alone. Oxytocin doesn't only work on your brain. It also helps your, your heart. It protects your cardiovascular system from the effects of stress. So it's a natural, by God, anti-inflammatory. It helps your blood vessels stay relaxed during stressful times. Your heart has heart receptors that this hormone connects to, and oxytocin helps those heart cells to regenerate and heal from any stress-induced damage. Again, this is secular, unbelievers, figuring these things out about the way God made your body. I'll read this again. Your heart has receptors for this hormone. And oxytocin helps heart cells regenerate and heal from any stress-induced damage. Do you remember 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, 2, 3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, to regenerate. He's caused us to go through suffering and sin, and in that be pictures 
of born-again, regenerate lives that Christ has, has given life to, again, removed all the negative, removed all the sin, and given us new life. One psychologist says this, I find this amazing, that your stress response has a built-in mechanism for stress resilience. And that mechanism is connection with others. And the same with Peter. He's saying your stress response to build resiliency through suffering and trials is your connection with Jesus. Your eyes fixed upon Him. Your life given to Him. Your life born again because of Him. Him and Him alone. Connected to Him. Saved by Him. Sustained by Him because He is the sustainer of life. Oxytocin, created by God, strengthens close relationships. Oxytocin, created by God, strengthens faithfulness. Grief, stress, this stress hormone in us, built into us, is to strengthen these things. And in the same way, when Peter says, when Peter tells us in verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, these various trials that we are experiencing, this grief and the suffering that we're experiencing, should lead us to strengthening, strengthening our relationship with the Father, strengthening our relationship with the Son, and that our heart begins to be transformed or continually being transformed by our Savior, Jesus. J.R. Vassar says that many of us have high aspirations for God, but very low pain tolerance. We have high aspirations. I want to live faithfully for Jesus. I have these high aspirations of what I'm going to look like as I'm doing all these things. But as soon as we grieve, as soon as we have suffering, our pain tolerance gets very low. He goes on to say, in that, suffering will expose counterfeits or affirm true things. The only way you can rejoice in your suffering is if you value Christ more than you value a comfortable life. So if how you define a good life is by comfort and ease, suffering will always lead to anger and bitterness and jealousy. But if what you value in life is Jesus, the end game, as verse 7 tells us, is always more precious than gold. Verse 7 says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Suffering defines us and it also refines us. Suffering proves our character and also improves our character. And we should be thankful. We should rejoice in that. We should say, thank you, Jesus, that though for a little time I found you found it necessary for me to experience these things, and yet my faith in you is strengthened. My relationship with you is strengthened. Paul writes in Romans 5, 1 through 5, though, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts 
through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So when we see these moments or experience these moments of grieving, of suffering, however large they are or small they are, however significant you think they are or insignificant you think they are, we can rejoice because we know in our suffering, in our suffering, suffering is going to produce endurance. It's going to strengthen us, strengthen our relationship with Jesus. Verse 8 says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Can we just say this? If our, if our rejoicing is rooted only in fleeting things, things that we can see with our eyes, we will all someday have no reason to rejoice at all. Because someday we will all be unhealthy. We will all be unemployed. We'll all be unmotivated. We'll be burned out, exhausted, weak, ugly, old, whatever you want to say. And so we have to put our faith not in fleeting things, but in eternal things. Like we say here a lot, we have to put our faith in the eternal King. No longer putting our faith in fleeting things and rejoicing in those for a moment, but instead rejoicing in someone who we can rejoice forever in our eternal King. But maybe you're at that point by now. You've spent most of your life focusing in on fleeting things. Most of your minutes, most of your hours focused in on fleeting things. Trying to preserve the life, however good or bad that you have, you're trying to preserve it. Trying to secure the future by working hard. Trying to do your best simply to find comfort in in you or the things of this world. Trying to bring comfort to others that you have influence over. Only to find yourself and discover that there is no true satisfaction in that whatsoever. Still, you're still discontent. You find yourself in a very weak moment. A very weak moment. And you can go one of two ways. You can allow the stress and the suffering and the grief of the moment to lead you down the path of destruction. Or you can say, let this moment strengthen my relationship with Christ, strengthen my heart, Test my faith so I'm found faithful in Him. Strengthen those relationships. Use that suffering and say, ultimately, Christ, your grace is sufficient. Right? I mean, Paul says this. He pleaded. He was grieving. He was suffering. He was struggling. He was wrestling. He found himself growing weak. We're there also many times. And this is why we need to get into the center of the gospel. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Take this discomfort away. Take this suffering, this grieving moment away. Take me off the Pitocin. I don't want to experience this intensifying labor anymore. Verse 9 says of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, But he said to me, Jesus saying to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Though you suffer for a moment, though you grieve for a moment, for whatever reason it was found necessary, see in that moment, rejoice, that in your weakness, the grace of Jesus is enough. Paul says, therefore I will boast, I will rejoice, all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then, and I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I know that I am strong. 
But Christ is in me. And so when you suffer, when you grieve, when you think things are not right, or at least not the way that you think they should be, we must trust in the words of Jesus. We must trust in the words and the promises of the one that we call Lord. Ed Welch says this on Jesus' suffering. He said, Jesus suffered in the wilderness. He was tempted. He suffered through that. And then Jesus then did what no one else had ever done. He trusted in the words of God. He dismissed the lies of Satan. Even when it meant more suffering, even when it meant death, he still trusted in the promises of God. He knew exactly how suffering would work. Suffering has, Ed Welch was on to say, suffering has the old scent of rebellion in it. We want to rebel when, when grief and suffering happens. And whenever Satan smells it, he comes to stir up trouble and hover over us until we're dead so he can claim us for his own. Jesus was prepared and armed. And what did he prepare himself and arm himself with in the, in the wilderness? He knew Scripture. He knew the words of God. He trusted in those promises. He trusted in those. The same for us today. Hebrews 12, 1-4 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. See, in your struggle against sin, the author of Hebrews continues, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. Your own blood for the entire world. And so in those moments of grief and sorrow and suffering, when those various trials come your way, there's that moment of testing. There's that moment when your faith is put on trial to prove you faithful. Where should you look to the author and perfecter of your faith? With our eyes fixed on Jesus, on his completed work, his resurrection, his promise to return, we see that suffering is not the last word. Our living hope is. And that living hope is Jesus. We pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that we do truly have a living hope. That though we grieve and suffer for a little while, if necessary, we find in you eternal life. We find in you eternal hope. We find in you contentment. We find in you satisfaction. So this morning, God, as you're stirring in our hearts, including my own, I pray that you would continue to move in us those who are not born again, who have not been saved, maybe this morning, they put their trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Those of us who have and are experiencing daily moments of discomfort and grief and sorrow and suffering, and we tend to put our faith into question, our faith in you into question, or even your character into question, help our unbelief that we would trust in your promises. Let us see the resurrection of your Son as a moment of living hope for eternity. Now let us not 
must not fall into worship of idols, or worship of sin, or worship even of suffering during these moments of various trials. But instead, God, let us see our prize in Jesus. And as you've created in us already, God, let our our stressful moments and our breathing moments, our suffering moments, let those moments be used by you for your glory, that our relationship with you is strengthened, that our heart is strengthened, God, that we are changed by you, not so that we brag about ourselves or boast in any, any of us, but instead so that we might praise you, so that we might honor you, so that we might show to ourselves and to those that we have influence over your worth. Let us respond to you in a way this morning that glorifies you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We'll stand together and sing.